Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast. This podcast is designed to help marketers and development staff raise more money and drive engagement with your cause. To help you do that, we interview the top nonprofit fundraisers and marketers in order to provide you with practical insights for increasing generosity. And now, let's turn it over to our host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Modern Fundraiser Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Ryan Corey with us. Ryan is the Director of Development at St. Vincent de Paul in Phoenix. If you're not familiar with St. Vincent, I know many of you are, but they're an international organization founded in 1833. The Phoenix chapter here happens to be the biggest in the world. They're deploying more than $15 million a year to feed, clothe, and heal folks in our Phoenix community. So Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So Ryan, you and I have, have known one another for a while, um, so I'm excited to have this conversation, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how the heck you got into fundraising to begin with. Yeah, well, uh, truthfully, I graduated into a really bad economy, and uh, the first person I could talk to about a job was in charge of fundraising at my alma mater. And so uh, I kind of uh, tripped into it like a, a lot of fundraisers, uh, but found that um, my really heart and passion uh, was in uh, journeying with people to find their purpose. And, and that could be, you know, the folks who the nonprofit is helping, or uh, in my case, it's really with donors. A lot of times folks have an idea of how they want to create impact in the world, but they don't know how to get there. And they don't know the most efficient ways to get there. They don't know the organizations to partner with to get there. And I just love working through that with people. Uh, and so it's been just a, a great career thus far. Um, and uh, truthfully, I don't think I'll ever leave it. Yeah, that's great. And I've loved even just hearing from you over time about the importance of connecting the hearts and passions with donors, with causes that make them them come alive and and really how that's it's it's really giving more to the donor than anything else. I love your passion for that. Um Yeah, yeah. I just I just feel like as you and I and you know, this is something I admire in you, uh in in kind of everything that you do, but you just lead with bringing value to the table before you want anything, ask for anything. It's like, what, what can I bring today to, to these folks or to this organization? And uh, it's something that you're really good at. It's something that I work at every day, but um, something that donors really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not to get off track here, but I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's missed in generosity so much as nonprofits want people to give but they're, they're not always giving first. And so, you know, they're surprised when people don't want to give to them when all they do is take. And so just really having that mindset of, of giving first and generosity first, it always begets more generosity. So I just think that's a great principle in general. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I want you to talk a little bit about St. Vincent and you guys are doing some amazing stuff. You have some really cool programs. I know um, uh, one of the things I know you're doing is, is this, food box thing. So can you talk a little bit about that or maybe some of the other programs you guys are doing, but I knew the food box thing is so cool. So I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, so you said it in the lead off, our mission is to feed, clothe, house, and heal 
people in need. And uh, one of the big principles that St. Vincent of Paul was founded on, you know, in the 1830s by essentially like a 21-year-old named Frederick Ozanam, um, he would meet people where they are. And, and he would do it in the streets of Paris, and he would bring them food or blankets in the winter um, and, and really ask kind of two things. How are you and how can I help? And that's still how we approach our business, uh, our service. Uh, and, and you mentioned the food boxes. And we have, in addition to our main campus, we have five dining rooms throughout the valley. So that means wherever you are in central and northern Arizona, we have volunteers in a food pantry that can reach you if you're in need. And so I, I kind of liken it to, uh, I have three kids. I know you got a, you got a clan at home too. Uh, there are those nights when I just pick up my phone and I'm like, you know, Uber Eats is going to work tonight. Like things are crazy. Uh, well, Uber Eats has just been developed in the last you know, five years, four years, something like that. St. Vincent de Paul was doing that work for people in need before any of us had cell phones. Uh, folks would um, call in to, the, to their local food pantry and say, I'm hungry. I need help. My family needs help. And we would deploy our volunteers with a food box custom made for that family. If they have kids, we're, you know, we're putting different stuff in it than if they were elderly folks. Uh, and so volunteers, two by two, would go to that house. They would deliver a food box, and it's literally and figuratively the entree into our ability to help them holistically. So if we saw that grandma had a medical or dental need, we'd say, you know, we have a medical and dental clinic downtown. Can we refer you there? Or if dad needed some equipment or clothes to get back into the workforce, we'd help provide that. If a kid was sleeping on the floor, we'd make sure he had a mattress by the end of the night. Uh, and, and so, you know, we were, we were Uber Eats before Uber Eats and, and we were doing it for the most vulnerable people in our community. And, and I just think that's such beautiful work that we still meet people where they are. We still go two by two and we still say, how are you and how can we help? Um, you know, in, in addition to that work, we're doing cutting edge work in our dental clinic, the same equipment, maybe even more or better equipment uh, than your dentist or my dentist has in their office. We have it here at St. Vincent de Paul for people in need. Uh, we also have three urban farms throughout the community. Uh, and we think this year they're going to produce about 80,000 pounds of fresh produce so that we can put directly into our dining rooms. Uh, we're, we're feeding kids kale, right? You know, this isn't slop on a plate. This is fresh food that was harvested this morning right onto that kid's plate. And, and so uh, I think St. Vincent de Paul is evolving beautifully, but staying really true to our foundational mission from the 1830s. Uh, that's, that's amazing stuff. I mean, just, just the heart for what you guys do, but then just the logistics to be able to pull off you know, kind of Uber eats before Uber eats is not, is not trivial. And so that's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, 
Back on the fundraising side, because I know you think about fundraising in some innovative ways. Can you talk about some of the more innovative stuff you feel like you've done around fundraising and gathering support um, over your time at St. Vincent? Sure. You know, I I think um, what we're really good at, and we talked about it a little, is is understanding where donors are, where they're coming from, what they want to impact, um, the experiences that made them who they are. Uh, so, you know, for instance, we have uh, some folks who are donors who uh, have grown their own business, right? And, and any time that they had part of their business that was very, very successful, they'd double down. They'd, they'd borrow money. They'd put their own money back in and say, if this was successful with X, we're going to go at it with 2X. Um, and that's not real a real typical nonprofit thought process. But, you know, we go to those donors and we say, you know, we saw what you did with your business and we want to model that. Would you, you know, our fundraising department has grown uh, in revenue for the last three years. Would you invest in our fundraising department? And we think that $1 that you put into fundraising or marketing, we think we can turn that into five. So for every one you put in, we can, we can produce five. And they get really excited about that because they're then not only mimicking what they did to make their business successful, but they're part of the team. We get to report to them about what their investment's doing. Are we hitting 5X? I mean, they're investors, right? They're, they're different than check writers. They're now investors. And, and so we talk to them like investors and, and we report to them. Um, we have honest conversations when things aren't hitting 5X. <laughs> uh, uh, luckily, we haven't had to have too many of those. But, um, you know, we, we really speak to their experiences. So I think that investment in our infrastructure uh, is, is kind of unique. Um, I also think that in terms of human services organizations, uh, most organizations who have a focus like ours uh, are just trying to make it day by day, month by month, year by year. And we're really thinking forward. We're thinking about having an endowment. You know, when, when you see there's some universities that have, what, $30 billion endowments and, and you know, back east. And, and that just makes so much possible for what the university is able to do. We have a unique set of social challenges that we are addressing and addressing really well with a highly competent team and great money managers. Why would we not be considered for a significant endowment gift like that? Uh, and, and so we're really looking forward to, to growing our endowment and making sure that even in, uh, even if we had a blip on the economic radar, we wouldn't have to retract services. Our endowment keeps us at a place where we can maintain or even expand services when the community needs it most. Uh, and, and so I think that's a little bit unique uh, in, in what we're doing. So, uh, you know, I think the future's, the future's bright here. We're looking more and more uh, to meet with donors who think about giving differently. Uh, who want to be investors and partners in what we're doing, uh, not just, you know, a, a 
check writer. Uh, we need those two. We need everybody, but um, we're, we're looking more and more at people who want to really be on the daily journey with us. Yeah, that's great. I know one of those things that you, in that same vein that you kicked off a few years ago, it was your Vinny's program. I don't even know if that thing's still around anymore, but it was such a cool example of thinking about people as so much more than check writers. Um, just for the benefit of our listeners, can you talk a little bit about why you um, had initially run that Vinny's program? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking about that. And and uh, we just had our annual retreat last week. Cool. So we're up to uh, 35 uh, Vinny's or advisory board members. Uh, and um, it runs a little bit different than a normal board. You know, your your normal board has a, a governance committee and a finance committee, and you're doing Robert's Rules of Order and, and this and that. And typically, if you're in the financial services industry, someone comes and says, oh, will you serve on our finance committee without even thinking like that person in the financial services industry, they do that all day, every day. But what they're really passionate about is cooking. You know, they're, they're really an aspiring amateur chef. And uh, so we look at folks and say, what are you passionate about? What's going to keep you engaged? And so we'd take that financial services professional and we'd say, we have a food program that puts out 4,300 meals a day. We want your help thinking about that. I want to show you our kitchen. I want to introduce you to our chef. I want to ask for your help and your passion around food service. And by the way, we still get his or her financial expertise too. That that doesn't disappear, right? Um, and And so we really engage people with, with what they're passionate about and they have provided some really incredible impact for us. Uh, they're great network connectors um, because they're so passionate and uh, I'm just really excited about those folks. They've, they've really been transformational in, in how we're able to think about our business and our service and our partnerships uh, and they're still rocking and rolling. Yeah. I'm, I'm so used to walking into sort of board meetings or even just advisor um, kind of meetings like that. And it's primarily 70 year olds who can write big checks and are, and are worried a lot about governance. But with this tranche that you pulled out for Vinny's, I walk in the room and it's, you know, like 30 years old that are like, and they're hustling and they're like, let's start a new community garden or let's go to, and they're just like, you know, on it, like rolling up their sleeves. And so, um, just the, the energy around that and the innovation is just amazing. So I know one of the things you're, you're really passionate about is sort of, and I am too, is um, nonprofits um, sometimes getting content to trail behind the rest of the world a little bit, being content with kind of doing things a level lower than their for-profit counterparts. Talk a little bit about how you've, you've seen some of that happen and where nonprofits should maybe be uh, operate more like a for-profit. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't have to look farther than, than my email. Right. And, um, I got an email from, uh, the place where I shop for some clothes and they immediately hit me this morning with, uh, something about, um, your cart is about to expire. And it had the exact shirt and size and everything ready for me to just click go. 
yeah, 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 yeah. Purchase that. Right. So, uh, that, that store speaks to me on an individual level. And, uh, I, I think that nonprofits typically have not had the expertise or the resources or, uh, the latitude to do some, uh, kind of R and D, I guess that's what they'd call it in the for-profit world, right? Like can, are, are nonprofits allowed to test? Are nonprofits allowed to fail in those tests? And, and typically the answers have been no, right? Because sometimes that costs a little money and we don't want to quote waste money. Uh, I, now I'm, we're a wonderfully run organization financially, 91 sense of every dollar goes straight to our mission, which is really high for an organization with 200 plus staff members. Uh, and so, you know, I don't, I don't mean to say that, that we're just running around testing things all the time, but, but where we can, we're trying to apply the same tactics and uh, opportunities that our for-profit uh, friends would be able to do with exactly that shirt, you know, uh, example that I described earlier, we're trying to speak to people on a one-on-one level. We're trying to engage them with things that, uh, historically we know that they might be interested in. Um, and what we've found just like I saw it on my phone this morning is you gotta be in people's hand. You, you gotta be, uh, digital. You have to let people, click and pick their volunteer experience. Uh, you have to let people give online. Uh, and, and we're seeing that play out even in our, uh, quote, food drives, right? Y- you and I are probably used to uh, putting something in our office and, and saying, oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll throw in a bag of, of canned goods because they need uh, peanut butter or tuna or whatever, water. You know, especially in Arizona in the summer, and and we'll drop this physical case of water that we bought from a store, lugged it through the parking lot, lugged it into our office, dropped it in this box. Now St. Vincent de Paul has to pick it up. That's those are those some of those things still have to happen, but I think that's dissipating. And what we're seeing is people want to engage virtually. We have way more people telling me now, yeah, 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 I'll participate in your peanut butter drive. Is there a link where I can go to buy some? And so we're having to develop a whole new process that um, you know our online shopping friends have known for a long time. You let people buy and get what they need from their phone, and they can still have an impact. So an Amazon wish list that just sends peanut butter directly to us and bills your, your Amazon credit card on file. Um, and, and so we're, we're turning digital, we're turning much more uh, like our for-profit friends who hit you with emails that speak to you, although not with the aggressiveness or frequency, because that's not our style. Uh, but you know, it, it is, we do have to test things. We do have to go digital. Uh, we do have to be bold and smart with our marketing choices. And, and I think that is where, um, nonprofits will 
you know, the, the ones that are going to be sustainable and sort of lead the charge, that's a real inflection point. The, the nonprofits that are going to be really strong 10 years from now are understanding that inflection point and doing something about it right now. So nodding my head to everything you just said, um, uh, the digital innovation piece is, is huge. And, you know, you talked a little bit about that, the clothing experience, that personalized email, that is, that is so much my love language. I just think if nonprofits could provide you know, like the great shopping companies. I'm the same way. I'm wearing a shirt right now that I got suckered into from this place. I like to shop online because they could say, Hey, you know, we know you bought this shirt last time. You would like this shirt this time, by the way, it's 30% off. And they send the email at exactly <laughs> the right time. Cause they know exactly who I am and exactly what I'm going to buy. And it doesn't feel like marketing or a push at all because it's, it's hyper relevant and it's hyper personal. So it feels more, much more like a value add. And it's so if nonprofits could really lean into that to create personalized experiences with donors that are hyper relevant to them around their own passions. I mean, that, that moves the needle so much. And so, and I hope, I hope our nonprofit listeners are really leaning into what you said there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great example. Um, let me let me finish up with this. I'd love to hear you kind of riff a little bit. I know you're a reader, and and a lot of what you do at St. Vincent's has been um, influenced by books. We usually ask our our guests what books and podcasts they're listening to, but I know you got a couple of books in particular that have influenced you. So can you kind of talk a little bit about what you've been reading and kind of how that's influenced what you're doing at St. Vincent? Yeah. So uh, to the to the podcast angle. Um, I've really been listening to a lot of Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist and yeah. really, tr- really talks about building strong teams and cultures. And one of the things that, you know, it's not surprising, but uh, it's surprising how much I hear it is that folks invest in St. Vincent de Paul at really significant amounts. Those folks all say that one of the leading reasons Yes, our mission, they love the work, but they trust our leadership team. And they, they trust our team because they know us. Uh, they know we're going to be great stewards of their money. Uh, and, and that starts internally, right? That's, that's not a marketing campaign. You can't fake that. Uh, you can't just create a story around it. Um, our executive director's been here 22 years. Our CFO has been here, I think, 14 years uh, and so I've, I've been really encouraged by Adam Grant to say, Hey, look, if you want to scale, if you want to grow, if you want to, you know, have a great marketing campaign or a great story that starts internally, that starts with, uh, the people you hire, uh, how you develop those folks, the opportunities that you give those folks, the trust that you put in those folks, uh, and, and so that's been really inspiring for me to listen to. And I'm, I'm seeing that pay off, uh, in our work in the community. So that's, that's the podcast lane, uh, the, the long drive to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of, of books, uh, I've been reading a lot of, uh, Moneyball type books, uh, sports analytics, uh, because I think it's so fascinating how, uh, you know, Billy Bean in, in one decade. And then, uh, 
the Houston Astros front office in, in another decade, how they sort of looked ahead and looked at opportunities within their market and said, ah, we're going to be the first there. Uh, we're going to speak to people on an individual level because they're not used to that from nonprofits. And we're going to do it better than anyone so that, you know, after three years of developing that system, we're going to win the proverbial World Series, just like the Astros, right? And, and so it's just understanding how to think about those things, how to build, um, continue doing great work, but angle yourself and your team to slowly grow into the team of the future or the team that you want to be day by day. Um, I think, you know, reading those books has really helped me and, and encouraged me in, in thinking that way, because when you're trying to alleviate hunger and you're trying to put people through the medical clinic and you're trying to, uh, you know, pay for the 83 uh, food pantries to all be filled with food, you could spend a lot of time just putting out fires unless you think to the future and, and angle your team to where you should be going. Um, it's just not, it's not going to, you know, your today is just, it's just going to be today. It's not going to be a sustainable model. So uh, those are, those are kind of the things that I'm looking at. It's a lot building culture and team and process internally uh, more so than, you know, how to quote sell or how to do any of that. Yeah. And one of the things I love about that, particularly the the money ball example with Billy Bean is, is the way he was able to get so much leverage is, is the baseball for the last 90 years has done stuff by their gut because that's always how it's always been done. And so rather than take that approach, uh, Billy Bean just didn't guess at what might be a better way. He used numbers and analytics to tell him what would be a better way. And I think that's just such a perfect metaphor for fundraising and that there's a bunch of traditional approaches that have just always been that way. So my gut tells me sending this appeal or throwing this gala are going to get my best results. So we're going to go with my gut because that's what tradition says. And you don't want to be sort of reckless and throw the baby out with the bathwater, but at the same time running two numbers and analytics to tell you what the most effective things are that create the highest ROI, the most impact for your organization. So I, I love that as a, as a metaphor, kind of that money ball metaphor for nonprofits. I think it's, it's spot on. Yeah. And I think the, you know, just in our culture, um, the time that we live in the environment that we live in, if you could put a, a money ball equation together to quantify and market belonging uh, I, people want to belong. People want to be known. People want to be a part of a community. <laughs> Whoever figures out that equation, I want to know them. Yeah. I want them to be on our team at St. Vincent de Paul because I think that is so important right now. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's a great, a great sentiment to end on. So, um, Ryan, it has been a pleasure having you on today. I love your insights. I love the the work you're doing at St. Vincent de Paul. So um, thanks again for joining us and I'm looking forward to chatting again soon. All right. Thanks, Gabe. To learn more or to subscribe to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser podcast, visit virtuouscrm.com. <laughs>